1: you ever think about quitting it's the combat of life hammering the snot out of you well stand by dig in deep and get ready to get fired up with us Welcome to the Team Never Quit Podcast, the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on.
2: That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the Rock, negative fire insurgency me up, man. In their lives. fire me up, Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's
0: roll. Let's roll. Well, 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 Marcus, we're back again. One more round. How are you, sir? I'm great. Great. Thank you for asking. How are you? Did you sleep last night? Because I heard that your what do you call her? Your, your main tank gun swab. The walking, living. <laughs> Is or that brush. a Pomeranian? What Pomeranian. is that thing? She's a Pomeranian. It's a Pomeranian. Yeah, Camila. Camila the Pomeranian was wreaking havoc.
1: Man, you're you're out in in your room. You're, you're, I am isolated. Yeah, you're isolated. Your own little deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sound gapped. That, that yap bark, right? It's just, it's just a, it's, first the the fingernails jelling, shakin', and man, she was jamming nine hundred miles an hour. I got up and, and she was barking at herself in the mirror. I think. And then Rigby got up. You think that's why?
0: Because Mel explained it to no, me no. that yeah, the, she going. thought she heard something. And then she right, right. ran around. Now, my question is there's probably only three things in Texas that are actually her size or smaller, which is like a bug, some species of small birds, and maybe a chipmunk. So, what is it that she wanted to go out there and fight?
1: Man. Uh, well like i said because rigby
0: she did they ch- right she opened the yeah, door one yeah, well, after well, whatever opened opened the
1: door and and, uh, and rigby even went out there too and he didn't get up for nothing it was a backup
0: yeah. It was like, oh. <laughs> yeah and
1: they stormed out of there they didn't come back so everything's moving now right cuz the 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 season's changed right, right? Yeah, and i up. mean everything and since this place is a sanctuary we got everything from bald eagles all the way down to the smallest rodents squirrels and foxes and
0: skunks and <laughs> She so better be careful. if She's gonna get carried off. By yeah. Oh Michael.
1: man, there's times What's when we've been outside
0: with that... Ryan Reynolds, the greatest actor ever known to yeah. man in yeah, history is, of acting. Actually, he... Um,
1: is the proposal. That's it. Was Sandra Bullock? Yep. And the dog gets yep. carried
0: off. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. So that that popped into my when I'm out. Every now and again, I'll look up. <laughs> She'll kind of wander off in one of the open uh, side yards, and then you'll see the birds. Cause the hawks and the eagles snatch her up
0: like oh, no. Wait, didn't one swoop on you one time? Yeah, I remember this story. Oh, that eagle what was that? Up of my head. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> take your head off. Yeah,
1: I remember because I crouched down no and deal. screamed like. A <laughs> 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 I tried to drop down on my karate stance. And I was like, I mean, bro, this sucker came over the top of me, and, and when he flapped his wings behind me, I could see the shadow, and then he just came straight down and over the back, back side of that pond over there. There's, there's two of them.
0: Was it because you were two people with a
1: nest or she what? Was, yeah. That's well, they, the idea. They fish out of that, that right. pond and the, the trees are the high ground, right? And she was posted up behind me. Normally, I was like I said, there's a male and a female. I named them File and Myrtle.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, I remember, remember them this now. Those Myrtle. are great names.
1: So they're, yeah, they're back. Names it's, that need to come back. Yeah. Yeah, they do. It's, yeah, It's good to know who you're talking to. When they, Especially when they drop down on you. In a f- <laughs> unbeknownst.
0: It's good to know who you're yelling at.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know what she got a hold of or what, what, what was rolling around out there. Because the, it definitely wasn't anything bigger than them like coyotes. Because you could hear the coyotes when they're screaming. But I don't know. They came moving back in a few, few minutes later. You
0: know what's kind of amazing that you see? Is animals are unafraid to attack things much larger than themselves. And then by comparison... They make us humans look rather ridiculous. Mm, Yeah, constantly. You got somebody that'll jump up on a chair out of fear because they see a a mouse, which cumulatively weighs... That's funny. You outweigh it by, what, your entire body weight minus maybe two fingers, a finger and a half? Right. And you are, this person's terrified of that. Uh, But you've got Camila, right, or a badger or a wolverine or anything that attacks something, many times it's body weight. Right. Just going after it. Yep. That's
1: that whole thing, it's not the the fight and the dog. It's a, or it's not the dog in the fight. It's the fight in the dog. <laughs> how, much, how much fight do you think can fit in Camila? Uh, man, I, I had this whole premise in my head that she's actually a dire wolf. <laughs> <laughs> in a Parallel <laughs> universe. Yeah, she's tucked into that per, into that Pomeranian body, but she's actually a dire wolf. So I uh, and and Rigby, he's kind of a sheepish lion, you know he. He didn't like violence at all, but he, uh, you know, backed her up.
0: He's got such a great personality.
1: He does, man. He's... <laughs> all right, so what are we doing here today, bud? Who are we talking to? Check this out, man. This guy, dude, Stephen Callahan. And all the guests we have on, every one of them are amazing, and we, and, you know, we all. This is the craziest story, man. And we've had guys that were in prison camps and in space, right?
0: Right. This just dude's trapped out before. on a
1: water for like 70 something days by himself in a life raft. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious as to see how. I mean, that, that's a lot of reflecting time. You know, that's, that's, you're going to get in touch with your inner self and, and more out there. That's where you start learning, learning learn your alphabet backwards. And
0: <laughs> Wilson.
1: <laughs> you know, it's all, yeah, Wilson. Exactly. Wilson. That's, well, that's, that's all I kept thinking I about, of, man. Right? I, I was like, wondering who his, what his Wilson was. <laughs> And, uh, you got, I mean, I, yeah, thank you, Tom Hanks, for coming up with that. And if you ever get stranded out, some always just have somebody
0: you can talk to, it makes everything a lot easier. I imagine that just has a tendency to naturally develop, though. Sure. You know, as, a, as inherently gregarious creatures, yeah. I think that the tendency to want to, at least, if we don't have something else to interact with that is human, I that is human to somehow anthropomorphize yeah man we're pack animals (laughs) so that you can at least have an imaginary conversation with it
1: right always good to have somebody to talk to that's why god's so important
0: (laughs) (laughs) we're not going down that rabbit hole right now no no uh, let's back off that and let's get into some housekeeping and then we can uh go over some more information on all right y'all check it out
1: thank y'all so much for coming back if you want
0: Thank you for listening to us. But if you
1: want to find out how you can listen to us, <laughs> <laughs> obviously <laughs> you already know. Shit, right? So like, if anybody's not listening like you are and you want to tell them about us, they can find us at iTunes, Stitcher, Podacy, CastBox, and Radio Public. Virtually any, any other podcast app, whether iPhone and Android, applies. And you can stream directly from our website at tnqpodcast.com.
0: Exactly. And as far as social, if you want to follow us along on social media, start out by looking at team never quit you can search find uh, find us there on any of the major social media outlets instagram specifically we put a fair amount of attention into so you can follow the show tnq podcast you can follow marcus at marcus latrell and you can follow myself the wizard at the underscore wizard underscore tnq
1: if you go into the TNQpodcast.com, you can listen to all of our episodes directly. Merch, we have him from head to toe, shirts and hats. Also, the best part about this, on the website, you can tap into our listener stories, and you find that in the tab of share your story.
0: All right, let's get into, uh, I'm going to roll through a background on, uh, on Mr. Callahan here to give everybody kind of up to speed and a concise overview of who he is and what he's about. Stephen Callahan is an American author, naval architect. He's an inventor and a sailor noted for having survived 76 days adrift on the Atlantic Ocean in a life raft. In 1981, he had sailed to England on a sloop that he had built, found himself eventually down in the Canary Islands, starting off a voyage to return to the United States. So he departed out of El Hierro in the Canary Islands, and about 800 miles into it, in the middle of the night... He collides with what he thinks was likely a whale. It caused a huge hole to be ruptured in his hull, and he had to abandon ship for his about a, a life raft about six feet across. He had very limited food and supplies, as you can imagine, and at that point he was just at the mercy of the tides and currents to take him what would have to be about 2,000 statute miles to reach land. The raft drifted westward on the south equatorial current with the trade winds. Along the way, he had to obviously learn to survive, adapt. He, for example, for drinking water, his freshwater stills failed. He had to take them apart. He deconstructed and re-engineered them into one that would function. I think uh, it said that he was able to actually produce about 16 ounces of water a day in order to survive. The raft started attracting uh, sea life, I guess, as anything that's floating around out there in the ocean starts to do. Attracted these Dorado fish, which in turn also attracted sharks. That is an amazing thing, though, that happens.
1: Something floating out in the middle of the ocean like that develops its own kind of habitat.
0: Yeah, how fish are attracted to structure like that?
1: Yep. Everything kind of, I guess, if you look at it, needs some kind of
0: structure. Yeah, it needs some kind of starting point. But anyway, so these these fish, it, it, it I guess it formed a, a whole ecosystem yep. around the boat, and this fortunately provided him with a food source once he figured out how to kill him because he had a, a small spear gun... It was almost a toy. I get it was almost like a toy, but he was he was able to effectively learn how to how to how to, I mean, how to spear these fish.
1: Boat going down, getting stranded out there, and lucky enough to have the, a couple things you need to, to survive. Like, hey, man, we're gonna leave you out here in the middle of nowhere, but it's gonna be all right. You got this stuff.
0: Well, he had the he <laughs> he had the ability. Apparently, when the boat was sinking, it had some seal compartments, so it was. Partially submerged, yeah, capsized. Right. I mean, it's done, but it's partially submerged. He had enough time to go in there and pull, you know, like rummage around, grab the items of most importance, right, and throw them into the life raft in the middle of a storm.
1: Because he was out there, he was going long. He was doing a long distance cross, anyways.
0: He was, yeah, I think, planning on being
1: out there for a while. Three thousand miles. Yeah. yeah, three hour tour. Hey, he's gonna
0: go out here for a three hour tour. <laughs> thousand mile tour. <laughs> God, no big deal. No biggie. All right, so back to the fish. The fish, actually, in this spear gun and, and in this method, uh, it ended up cutting a hole in his raft part of the way through, which uh, it was a slice that he had a hell of a time trying to fix. It was reopening over and over. At this point, he had been at sea for a long time, lost a lot of body weight, was was covered in sores from the salt water and sun exposure. Um, he's got sharks swimming all around this, this life raft uh, in dangerous weather. He almost sinks again through this. But he has to. He, he adapts and finds a, a very creative means again to to keep his his raft afloat, which was literally his his lifeline. Without that, he would have been done. This is interesting. He was passed during the process of this. He had seven ship sightings, two which were close, and the and the raft was outfitted with. He wasn't just waving his arms out there. He had flares. Yeah. He had a radio signaling device. Nothing. <laughs> right. So. Can you imagine the the relief and how excited you are to see, well, here's my rescue. Yeah. And then it's just lost. It just keeps on moving. Oh, he must be out They're out here for the other dude out here. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't it's like, see how,
1: know how big that, that the ocean is. is I mean, where can you go where you, you can sit somewhere where you would only see seven things trip past you?
0: Over 3,000 miles. Right? Good <laughs> Lord, man. Yeah, right? But can you... When I was, when I saw that part of this, I kept thinking about, you ever done any kind of an erase, a race or an exercise or something like that where the goalpost at the end changes? It's like, you think this is going to end here. Right. So you're mentally prepared and you're pushing yourself and you think your mental, your stamina is only enough to reach that point And then all of a sudden it moves and just how difficult it can be to re-motivate yourself. Oh, going.
1: man. It's everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. I can crush you. That's kind of like going through Buzz. You go through Hellwig, you would think that making it through something like that, that it would be would be good to go. But it, it's actually, <laughs> no, like we got that's the beginning. Too. Yeah, it's like, hey, bro, we're just getting started. We have a surprise. Yep.
0: Congratulations, you Congratulations, finished. you made it this far. Congratulations, you've got to start again.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's where you where they... Where you have to overcome that thought is the fact that, like, man, I got here, and this isn't anything. This is just kind of—we're just getting warmed up. But it's kind of—in the same premise, in in martial arts, When you get your black belt. All you mm-hmm. are is a master of the basics. And when you become a master and that's what SEALs are. We're specialists at the basics. Mm-hmm. We just kind of pick up everything and hone it in, and we're trained well enough in it to where that most of the stuff, the basic stuff, that we that's what we can regurgitate. On, at like a but, James Bourne, J- Jason— yeah, you, know, you, you mean uh, Jason like Bourne, all the—
0: baseline, baseline skills stuff, are so yeah. well rehearsed and practiced that right. you
1: are and once that's locked in there and that if that's set it's kind of like getting dressed right you don't you just do it and it's kind of a routine part of the day and then man if you know that you made it there then it was and you can definitely make it to the next one because mm-hmm. it, it would there wouldn't be a next step if you couldn't and it's always just look at it this is like this is like a waypoint instead of a marker. The, always, always, I mean, I would say this too, man, every time we'd fix and go out on our op, I'd be like, hey, man, this thing isn't over to we're, you know, boots on the ground, back at home, all right? And because anything can happen and anything can go down up until that point. So, yeah, it's, uh, I get, bro, I, when, man, when I was stuck in that hole, when they put me in that hole mm-hmm. for 27 hours, a bit more, and they kept. and I remember in the beginning they kept saying that the, the helicopter was going to come at 10 o'clock. I was like, oh, great, 10 o'clock. As if I, I mean, how, think about how hard it is that uh, SEALs even to get a helicopter online to go off at 10 You know what I mean? So how are they going to get one? And I didn't, But I didn't think about it. I thought they had access to all of that. I was like, oh, sweet, they know something. I don't know, 10 o'clock. And then I'll be waiting, you
0: know, 10.01. Know, but helicopters. Isn't would, it funny how hope can, like, override your sense sure, of man. rationality?
1: Yeah. It it just kind of. yeah. That's why it's important to let it, you know, just. And that's the same thing he learned, too, man. You just sit back and let it play out, right? And when it, when it happens, it happens. It's just kind of like always concentrate on the now, the right now, what's going on. And it'll usually guide you in the direction that you need to go. You'd be surprised. But What was it the, like when after the first no, was no like, show so I was like, oh, Did I do something wrong? <laughs> you know, I was like, you screw up again. Last night they man. decided they didn't like me. Right, like, right. Yeah, I was like, man, uh, uh, okay. And then they'd come running back up the next day. Doctor, you know, ten o'clock. We're it's game time. I'm like, all right. But then, what what I did was I kind of sat in for the the long haul. And everybody around me, you know, I was making mm. them my family. So I was like, I'm going, I'm, I'm here. I'm just hanging out at their house for till my boys come get me. Right. And once y'all, once y'all did, once y'all came and got me, I was the best feeling ever. But then I felt bad. I didn't want to leave them. They've been watching out for me forever. And I, just, I was like, "I'll be back. I'll come get you." You know what I mean? I, I did. But that's how it goes, though, man. You just every time somebody would walk into my room, I would, I would imagine them as one of my members of my family back home because they, the, the the mannerisms are kind of the same. So if someone was mean to me, I'd be like, "Oh, well, that's so and so." And then, and then I learned how, I know how to deal with them. Because uh-huh. once I figured them out and what they were and who they were, then it it was easy, and I, I just knew what to
0: do. And I think that that I mean, God, there's so much. There's so many parallels. <clears throat> there's so many parallels between you know the experience in your story, learn to adapt in an environment this is, it's potentially unsustainable, but at least it's you're going to hang on as long as you can, and what he was going through here, just to finish the story. So. Eventually, spoiler alert, not really because we know he survived. He's coming on the show. But he encounters a fishing boat off the coast of Marie Galante, which is near... Um, this is in the Eastern Caribbean. He had lost, if that was for his rescue, he had lost at this point 40 pounds. and His skin was covered in these sores from salt exposures that you get. And just obviously in a very weak condition. But several years later after his rescue... Uh, he wrote a book. It's called Adrift, 76 Days Lost at Sea. It was named by National Ge- Geographic Explorer as one of the 100 best adventure books of all time. and It was also on the bestseller list of the New York Times for 36 weeks. And his story um, was adapted by the documentary series I Shouldn't Be Alive. And the episode is titled 76 Days Adrift. So without further ado... You want to, uh, let's get him on, man. I got to hear this. On. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it, bud. All right, buddy. We got him on. We did the introduction. Let's, let's welcome him, huh? Yep. Steven, what's up, brother? Thank you for coming on.
2: I appreciate you having me. You bet. Oh,
1: We've been looking forward had. to this one, so uh, thank you again, absolutely, for doing this.
2: Yeah, no wor- no worries. Before we kick
1: things off, like I said, again, welcome. and We just wanted to uh, – we're going to kind of loosen you up a little bit, get your the, the, okay. the mental mind melt going and some very serious and in-depth questions mm-hmm. and what we consider the Mad Minute. So we're going to be firing some random questions at you, just like I said, to loosen you up, and then after sure. that we'll get into uh, – Your greatest never-quit story. So without further ado, Wizard, fire away. Time for the mad minute.
0: All right, let's go with the first one here. If you could go back in time and experience any point in the history of sailing, whether it's for uh, exploration or boat technology, whatever reason at all, when would that be and why?
2: Now. Now? And why? Now. Yeah. Oh, I don't know, because... Um, I mean I've loved the history of sailing that uh that I've experienced I've I've uh witnessed uh a huge evolution in boat design evolution of safety and all these other things but I think what's going on I, I tend to be, live in the present and uh uh and I find what's going on now what young people are doing what they're capable of is uh it it, it keeps me buoyed up so um I, uh, I I don't really need to go back in time. I mean, I you know we all dream about going back in time at at, at certain points in our lives in a way. But um, I've lived a very rich life. I don't regret anything I've gone through, um, and uh, so really, I just think uh, I got to look to what's happening now in the future.
0: What are some of these things that people are doing? Where are we going with sailing?
2: Oh, sailing's gone through um in terms of you know, um the technical part of design and, and this goes back to the beginnings of my career and even a bit before post war, for example. Uh there was the development of the multi-hull, the western multi-hull, which had existed in the Pacific for, you know, thousands of years. But the modern multi was made possible with things like plywood that came out of the war, mm. and, um, and plastics, plastics technology, epoxies, resorcinol glues, all these other things that made building light aircraft uh, possible, and. Um, and, and so the light, both have been getting ever lighter, which makes them easier to drive. But the thing in more recent years that you see in the America's Cup now, big time and whatnot, is not only multi-hulls, but they're actually going back to a single hull craft, but it's hydrofoils. If you don't have hydrofoils, you ain't got nothing. And um, uh, hydrofoils, uh, we've always had hydrofoils in terms of... Rudders and keel, they're actually technically hydrofoils, but these are these are used to give added um stability and get the boats up out of the water more to reduce drag and pounding on the water and stuff. so it's a whole new world out there. we got and the multi hulls the large multi hulls that you know I was banging around in some of these what now look like very primitive craft, but uh, you know we we're crossing oceans and these things, and uh uh now the craft are so refined. I mean they're around in the world mm-hmm. in fifty days, you know, in these huge wow. boats. Um uh and so it, it's it's uh it's a very exciting time. Also even in terms you know, I I love writing and the arts and been involved with film and whatnot. And mm-hmm. the technology there too has allowed us to, you know, like go out to the middle of the Southern Ocean and actually watch a boat down there, you know, careening along in these mm-hmm. waves and stuff. So it's yeah. it's really very exciting time. Um I mean, I you know the present has a lot of problems, but um, I, I find people are continuing to be creative and adventuresome, and so that's that, that makes my heart uh, go a little pitter patter.
1: Well, who had the, who do you think had the best boatcraft back in the day?
2: Oh, geez, there've been so many um, greats. And in, in terms of what? In terms of sailing or design? Yeah, speed and, di- yeah, speed and distance. Oh geez, I don't know. I, you know, one of my uh, sort of, here, I was always involved with, you know, living on boats and cruising and um, uh, that sort of thing more than racing. I've done some international racing and whatnot, but what has always excited me about racing, I have a lot of colleagues and friends who are some of the world's best designers and builders and you know is through the history the people who've made sort of large creative steps and one of those is certainly Eric Taberly, a Frenchman who was an amazing sailor sailed and won everything you can win essentially back and back at that time and um uh, created things like water ballast for boats. He had the first uh, offshore sailing trimaran that tried wing masts and all these things. Um, it was it was tremendously creative. But they're going back in the day. Of course, there was Nathaniel Harishoff and Starling Burgess, designers, great designers. But you know, you got to have the builders and the sailors out there too. And there's just a raft of them that were just fantastic. For me. I was always drawn to, um, I don't know, simplicity and whatnot. I didn't come from sort of a yachting background. Um, And uh, I started sailing in small boats. And there was a guy, uh, Robert Manry, from the Midwest, uh, who was a copy editor who bought a little 15-foot boat basically designed to sail around the lake and put a deck and a little cabin on it and sailed it to England um, and left with no fanfare. Um but it became quite a uh uh quite a to do by the time he got to the other side. Um
0: Is he the uh, one that inspired you to originally in eighty one to sail to England? Is is he the one that wrote Tinkerbell? I think I that was He wrote somewhere.
2: Tinkerbell, that's correct. And there's a, a film I got involved with, a documentary that's out now, uh on on Robert Mann. We call him uh, I think it's called Manry at Sea which is which is superb because it's a really interesting media story as well as this adventure story of this guy that nobody ever really expected to go out there and have this great adventure. Um, so, yeah, he was a big inspiration to me. Um, he, I was, um, I don't know, I must have only been four or five when he did The Crossing, and I read the book as a young man sailing, you know, as soon as I started sailing, and uh, uh, that really appealed to me that, you know, you you don't really have to be wealthy or, you know, uh, spectacularly yeah. talented in some particular way to have a life of adventure. So, um, yeah, that, that certainly had well, a big impact That's one of the on first me. forms of travel, <laughs> getting up on a boat, yeah, especially
1: right. th- strapping a sail on it. I mean, crossing the yeah. world the way they did. The technology today, look at the Navy ships, the destroyers, the carriers. Right. I mean, it's a floating city. That's that's a That's yeah, a right. sailing vessel, right? And then... You take that and all the way back to the beginning when the first tree came down. They whittled it out and try to go
0: out fishing. Hold <laughs> so, on, tree trunk,
1: yeah. right? So, it's, yeah, absolutely, it's something. All right, yeah. well, what's your what's your favorite
2: movie about sailing? Oh, my favorite movie about sailing? Yeah. Ooh, geez, that's a tough one. Um, there are very few <laughs> sort of great movies about sail. So, I mean, there are ones I saw, I saw as a kid, you know, Gregory Peck and Moby Dick, which I thought was fantastic. And I've seen it since, too, and it's got some really remarkable footage in it and whatnot. Uh, Captain's Courageous is another classic that incorporated uh, actual footage of these sailing schooners off of Gloucester that Sterling Hayden took, I believe. Um, what did you think of uh, Master kind of and classic, Commander? you, you know? like that? I liked Master and Commander. There they were do a, a good few job things on that. that didn't make any sense to me. And I love the the books by um um oh what's uh Patrick O'Brien. They're yeah. they're amazing books. Um, yeah I did enjoy uh Master and Commander. I thought they did a pretty good job overall with that. And I I worked on I have I worked on Life of Pi, which is kind of a crazy film. Oh wow. Man, um, yeah, great. And that's... and of course and of course I'm I'm a little uh, subjective in terms of in terms of that, but um, and in the oh, heart that's... of the sea too, which was okay, but um, I actually appreciated more the the Life of Pi film. But there are very few what I consider great sea films there. Like as far as bo- as far as boating etiquette, had to be Captain Ron, right?
1: I mean, tell me you enjoy watching Captain. Oh Ron. no,
2: Captain Ron's fine. Yeah, yeah, great. yeah. That's great, great right? <laughs> Absolutely. Let's Absolutely. be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's hard to capture. It, you, you know, it's, it's 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 that's a good approach because you can do sailing with comedy easier. If you try to do sure. a serious drama, like the big challenge with Life of Pi was, let's try to make this crazy story look at least. Believable. We put huge amounts of effort into trying to bring the oceanic environment alive and make it not quite realistic, but but much more realistic than had been done in other films.
1: I mean, you're right because it is a comedy show. We have, I have a couple of my buddies are fishing boat captains, so we go yeah. we go out down to the coast and go out, and you know, every time the boat breaks down, something chaotic happens, right? And that is right. It, you can look at a bad situation. <laughs> like a lot of people, they'll go on vacation if that happened to them. They, they'd say it ruined the vacation. With our crew, it's a good time. Like that makes the story. Like they, when, yeah, they, when we tell the story, right. it's that's like the, we had the had a boat broke down and we had to swim it all exactly. the way. up. And, it's like, you remember, and that's how you. Those are the greatest adventures. And if you can see the comedy in that, one, it makes everything you okay. do just awesome. But too, yeah, but you,
2: let's be honest. Usually, usually the comedy comes out after well, No, no, after, around the, well after. the bar or <laughs> yeah. something. You know, really. <laughs> no,
0: yeah, no, no, no. You're just realizing funny. the comedy yeah. is happening. At that well, point. If after it I, happens multiple times, yeah, then in
1: the you, when you know it's coming, then you can't help but laugh at it. You're like, that's what yeah, we've been exactly. doing this for forty plus years with my crew, and it's like you know something's going to happen. And and man, it's right. just so much fun to watch it play out because it's just right. It's going to happen.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially at sea, you know, I tell people, you know, going to, going to sea is like, makes Murphy look like an optimist because, you know, not only will everything that can go wrong, go wrong, but even the things that can't possibly go wrong, find a way of going wrong. And, uh, It's, you know, and it does make good stories afterwards. I often thought that, you know, I, I did some races where I had some massive problems, like the rudder falling off a boat or something or other, but just dealing with that and getting back to port on my own power was somehow much more satisfying to me than, um, than even if I had won the race or something, you know, um. So we yeah, tell people in that you 're right chaos
1: murphy 's law murphy 's law runs on land you get into water, then it goes to a different we, we use the in the teams it 's a duck on the pond analogy, so the duck looks smooth on the surface, but underneath those legs are going nine hundred miles an hour in all different directions and then if right. in the teams we we refer to that when we 're going through our training in the beginning it 's she 's our mother she 's the womb that we 're born from and the womb that we return to. And she's the most powerful element on the world. She grants everything life, but yet she can snatch it away from you in the blink of an eye. So when you're, when it comes to being on top of the water or underneath, you all, not only do you have to watch what you're doing and the craft. So the vessel, the, uh, sailing vessel, you just that's basically armor you strapped around you, and you're trying to swim and navigate right. on top of the water, right? And if you disrespect her or yeah. the wind, then she'll make you pay for it. And that's that's the wonderful thing about it. Everything is alive when you're out there. You got you got to pay attention.
2: Yeah. It's like any wilderness environment. I've spent, you know, a lot of my life in wilderness types of environments and, um, you know, you're not the big player there. It's not all about me. It's it's all about what's around you. Yeah. And, um, and uh, in a lot of ways, um, this has come up a n- number of times, not only by myself, but, but, uh, but other mariners and whatnot. But a lot of times we liken the experience of like being well, really, you know, like doing a passage or something. You're, you're literally more isolated from humanity than um, an astronaut circling the globe. And uh, it, so it's a, different, it's a totally different thing out there. Um, but that, it's, it's great. I mean, I, I love being in that kind of an environment.
1: Hmm. Well, it's almost like being upside down when, when, when you're out on the water, think about you, yeah, you're right out in space, everything is underneath you is alive and it's on its land. Right. right? And you're in its
2: right. air.
0: It's that you're just not yeah. in your element. Right. You that, are, you have not evolved. Yeah, definitely,
2: definitely there. not. It's almost like being, a I I like when I was in a life raft, you know, it was like, you know, it's a desert out here, <sighs> right. you know, because yeah. it's, it's you can't drink tough. the water. Yeah. That's yeah. true,
1: yeah. man. It's, I mean, it is a desert. That's you can't, right. you can't you. <laughs> Good
2: Lord.
0: All right, let's let's keep going yeah. with the mad minute. This is super interesting, but we got to uh we got to move forward here. So I'm going to change it up a little bit. And Go to the in mad your mad minute.
2: Yeah, this is going to be <laughs> like a mad half an hour
0: really. In your experience, where is the best bar stool in the world, so to speak? <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh lordy. Oh my. Uh probably the one you're sitting at. I that's, that's, an, 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 that's an intelligent definition answer. Um, <laughs> that guy's got experience
0: <laughs> yeah. seasoned operator that's seasoned aren't you, right Sarah? there
1: yeah, uh, uh, that, that's definitely a good one all right <laughs> brother uh high school mascot high school mascot yep send it Jesus.
2: I, I don't know if we had a high school mascot i really can't remember one to be honest the I, Raiders. I think we were the Raiders or something. Boy, you know, you are testing <laughs> an old guy's memory here. I can barely even remember. I told you, to hey, school. these
0: questions
1: are in depth and they can come from anywhere. Yeah. Go ahead. All right, go,
0: what's it? let's uh, this could be another question for the Wayback Machine or maybe not. What is the worst job you've ever had?
2: Ooh, the worst job. I don't know. Most of the jobs I've had have been. As a friend of mine said about sailing around the world single-handed, I think it'll be interesting, and or I think it'll be fun. And if it isn't fun, it'll at least be interesting. Mm -hmm. Those have been my jobs. You know, most of them have been really rewarding. Actually, Um, I've been very lucky in life in that way. I I I worked in a chemical plant, um, which had its upsides too, because the guy I worked with was hysterical. Um, But and I and I had a friend who said everybody should have an industrial near job once in their life, you know, work in right. a real right? You know, blue collar yeah. industry and in, in something like a pla- he worked in a plastics plant, you know, I worked in a chemical plant. We made chemicals and dyes for the for the tanning industry, you know, and everybody should have a job like that once just to see what goes into, you know, what we all consume all the time. Yeah, that's the inner and workings
1: like the stomach of the, it's like the, of the American people. It's, it's like the Yeah, The belly of the beast. Belly of the, yeah, the belly. Thank yeah, you. I couldn't remember that one. Belly. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: All right. Yeah. Two part question. Have you ever raced the Fagawi? And if so, can you explain how I got
2: its name? Oh no. And how did you get its name? Okay.
1: Well that was is right, interesting. When, I have no idea either. I got assigned with the uh, ghostwriter Patrick Robinson. We he and I were collaborating to write Lone Survivor. I would have to fly from California on Friday to Cape Cod and spend the weekend with him. And then Sunday night, I would fly back to San Diego. And we'd start, we were in, I was in, still in the military, we we're still doing a workup. And, but, anyways, so I got to, during the weekends and then on some breaks in the summertime, I got to Cape Cod Frogman. That place is great. That's the first time I'd ever been up there. And he has, mm-hmm. uh, um, his house is incredible and overlooks all of that. And we would, in the evening, sometimes after we would ride all day, He'd get on his boat and go around Cape Cod, and out in the harbor, and stuff like that. And he'd point out all the Kennedys and who this. I mean, it was it was a right. learned lesson of American history. The guy's a wealth of knowledge, man. Uh-huh. Well, he's also one of the funniest men I've ever met. So he was telling this story, and there's a race, a yachting race that goes on up there called the Fagawi. And and he goes, do you know? And this, he has this Irish accent. He's like, Marcus, you know, how I got, you know how I got a name, right? <laughs> I was, like, <laughs> I was like, no. He goes. He goes well, we like to we like to drink a little bit up here in the afternoons during the yachting race, and the fog would set in during the race, and everyone right, got would right. get
2: lost. They'd be like, Man, "Where the fuck are we? Where the fuck <laughs> are we?" <Yeah. laughs> that goes. You know what? That go, that joke goes back to F Troop. There was a TV show. You remember F. true Yeah, I do remember that. That's right. It, it, it was, that was the Indian tribe, the Fagawis. <laughs> that was part of their legend. That, you know, oh you know, man, There's something. there like, where are the Fagawis. <laughs> Dude, he would die me on that. All
1: he's he great. He, man, he's a guy of something. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And it's definitely true too. Sometimes, well, today is so much different than like when I first started sailing. We we didn't even have a speedometer. You know, we just had a compass and a chart, and you estimated your speed and you paid attention and and all this other stuff but um now everybody knows exactly where they all are are and where they are all the time with the uh, GPS which I love personally I think the GPS is one of the best inventions to come along and for sailors and eons is the yep. chronometer probably. But
0: there's definitely something lost in sailing, right? Or if or you, it, hey, if you lose your gear. Navigation. Yeah, if
1: you lo- if I've been there. I no, know you to have
0: too, bro. You lose your compasses
1: and all that. If you don't know how the stars rotate out there or how the sun yeah, goes right. down. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially out yeah,
2: there. Yeah, that's what a, friend, I, I, a good friend of mine who's a real adventurer, uh, much more so than I am, for sure. um uh, you know, he calls it natural literacy, the things that we've forgotten about our uh-huh. environment. You know, he when he would go to places like in um he, he wintered over around Cape Horn, for example, and he says, you know, you look over there and you see all these rocks and there's a little bit of green in one crevice. What does that tell you? It tells you something. It tells you there's no wind there, you know. Yeah, right. Nestle up behind that. And, you know, things that fishermen know and you know, people who live close to the environment know. We've we've forgotten a lot of that, but um, yeah, we use that all the time, and I still do. I, will, I look at the stars every night.
1: It's a trade-off. I mean, because of how sophisticated we've gotten with our technology and the mapping and that, you, if you don't, it's because it almost takes. Well, it used to be. Remember when the technology came out? It took as much time to learn how to work the gadgets as it did to actually teach them how to sail. And then, <laughs> yeah,
2: that's right. Remember? That's remember right, that?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And the, 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 oh
2: yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember using this uh, sort of World War II um, uh, surplus loran uh way back in the day and the thing was like jesus it was huge it was probably two feet wide by right, yeah, it was exactly. a sort of two two foot block and you know you had to line up the sine waves and do all this stuff in order to get a line of position and uh yeah was, <laughs> and now we got now we got our cell phones
1: it is it, yeah right it's so the way how fast it is it just downloads so quick it, it used to be uh, even with an email you would have to dial up and then uh, wait a minute right. and then dial down <laughs> Right, right.
0: What do you say? One yeah. more question, or yeah? yeah go ahead, fire what away. Whatever. Okay, last one. Let's have a um. Let's have a bucket list item that you're yet to complete.
2: Ooh, oh, you know what? I'm at a place in my life where there's lots of stuff i would love to do but practically speaking i'm to be honest i'm i've slowed down a lot i've had a lot of issues in recent years and whatnot so i'm just trying to be here now i want my my big dream is is getting to be like um uh you know my big dream in life is to climb a small hill it's kind of like that um we have we my wife and I bought a little boat, I'm um, kind of going full circle here from a lot of offshore stuff and bigger boats and and all of that and get back to sort of what i how I started, which is much more manageable at my age and we bought a little sort of camper cruiser which will sail here in the coast of Maine, which is some of the best sailing on the planet. I've been a lot of places on the planet and I've seen a lot of places that are amazingly beautiful, but uh, here is is pretty special. I'll tell you, it's one of the best on, in the world.
1: All right, yeah, cool. It is. Well, great job, brother. That's a mad minute. <laughs>
0: yeah, you survived. Uh-huh. We made it to the other side. Mad, God uh-huh. knows how there's like about 30 minutes right there. But at this point, uh-huh. you know, a lot of people come to our show. Well, the majority of people listen to our show, trying to get some inspiration, some guidance, some gleaning, you know, the from the experience of other people who've been through incredible situations yours is one of those so let's just go with uh if you could talk to us about you know your greatest never quit story just walk us th- walk us through that and we'll we'll see what we can pull out for the listeners.
2: okay um well the the story i'm best known for would certainly be among the top um yeah uh, it, it's hard to rank things sometimes but um in 1982, I, you know, I was coming back across the Atlantic. I'd, I'd taken a 21-foot boat and sailed it across to England, sort of following in Robert Manry's wake of, uh, in, in a way. Uh, and I'd been living on this boat for a while, and I started a race, but it was really bad weather and I had a little damage, so I dropped out and then I cruised down along the coast of uh, Spain and Portugal out to Madeira. And then down to the Canary Islands, and I left the Canaries, and I was about 800 miles sort of southwest of there on my way to the Caribbean when there was a big crash and big hole in the boat. And I bailed out into a raft, and uh, to to make a very, very long story short, spent the next two and a half months uh, bobbing across the Atlantic trying to learn how to live like an aquatic caveman, as I say. That's unbelievable. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that was a very yeah. condensed version of that story. And I think we're going to have to unpack very condensed it a little bit. Version, yeah, I could go
2: on forever, of course. It's well, long that's good, because we're going to so hear that, that one, one, brother. Yeah, that was one. But I have to tell you, um, a lot of what keeps kept me going is I was worldly enough. I'd been around enough of, through that time to see how difficult a lot of people's lives are even on a on a on a daily basis that there's so many people are just struggling just to get through the day and um in various way, in all kinds of ways, and they kept me going. They, you know, they really kept me going. And you know, my story, you know, I think gathered a lot of attention because people, you know, in a way, can relate to that. You know, being first of all lonely, totally alone, um, even though most of us are not alone for a very long periods of time, but we can all envision that, and we can all envision the struggle. Um, which we all do in different ways. Like for, the reason I mention this is because when you ask about, you know, sort of getting through things, um, I also had leukemia in 2012 and went through a stage one clinical trial for a stem cell transplant, and that was interesting because I've been involved with survival for decades and um, and have talked to so many survivors of incredible things. And uh what we forget is that what you know, something like having leukemia or cancer or or going through bankruptcy or whatever, we tend to think that these are like, you know, very common experiences and so aren't sort of in the same league, but they are actually. Um there's everyday survival that's every bit as trying as what I think what I went through back then. Although I have to say it was unusual and it was difficult.
1: Well, explain that first day, like what went wrong and then how this went down and then when, I mean, because when you're in something for the first few days, that's one thing. A week's another, or two yeah. weeks is another. I mean, that, that's a progression.
2: The, the yeah, yeah. A lot I of that, is, any lo- if you elongated. don't mind talking about it. Oh, no, I don't mind talking about it all. It's an elongated event, and in some ways I look at survival stories as sort of divided up into stages. They're roughly chronological, but, you know, just getting out of the boat, you know, thats that was horrendous. I've got a boat, you know, more than half full of water, fortunately staying somewhat, a part of it anyway, uh, enough afloat. That I could actually, you know, it wasn't going straight down, so I could dive back, you know, get back on the boat and dive down and get equipment in the dark. And every, you know, these big waves, you know, several meter waves are just like totally burying the boat. And it's cold and windy. And then How I get on raft. I oh, was like 800 miles southwest of the Canaries. I was basically in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. So um, <laughs> I knew I was in a pretty bad. Perfect bad time for state, that to go you know. down. Yeah no yeah well there's no good place for one. Right. Um so anyway I bailed out of the raft and that was getting bashed like crazy was with it waves, nighttime like, being an was auto it auto accident it uh, was night it was, was night yeah and uh, and I got broken away from the boat which actually gave me a little bit of comparative peace because I wasn't the raft wasn't getting so slammed by all these big breakers and stuff and um, and went drifting off and then cold cold was a terrible problem for the first sort of really almost the first half of the voyage but um certainly the first couple of weeks at night I had three days of gale, sort of gale or near gale gale conditions, and scooping up water in the raft and sitting in cold. I only had a t-shirt and a space blanket and a sodden sleeping bag and a piece of foam cushion I could sit on. So, just trying to stay alive during the nights was, um, uh, you know, took some concentrated effort. And but slowly but surely, you know, things evolved and ecosystem developed, and I learned how to, you know, catch fish and produce some water and all that kind of stuff that took a couple of weeks to kind of settle into it to get through that second period right after the impact of bailing out that often is a really difficult part for survivors of these kinds of events including myself you beat yourself up you you know you, you keep telling yourself what an idiot you are every mistake you ever made seems horrendous you just seem like you know you, you just beat yourself up mercilessly and um... You don't really know what to do you' know, you know all the old rules of life have gone away, and you can't really figure out you know well, how do I make a living here and uh... and it takes a while to sort that out So there's a lot of regret and you know that then the bucket list really comes to you and go jesus i haven't done anything you know, all that kind of stuff but i worked my way through it slowly but surely concentrating you know one thing at a time prioritizing always prioritizing trying to be more disciplined than i would ever been in my life and um... slowly figured it out and and then hopefully um... for survivors you get to a place of adaptation where you either fix the problems or learn how to live with them. Is
0: that what helped you get through that? I've heard you talk about this before, and you've called it a period of recoil after that initial causal event, which was so, I guess, dramatic, traumatic, getting out of the boat. And then this is yeah. the next stage, and you're beating yourself up, and you're, you're trying to find yourself um, some kind of – take yourself to a position that is sustainable. So is it – right? what was it? Was it just finding a practical routine? Was it – Oh, finding a lot of way to, things to just yeah, deal yeah, with, yeah, yeah, how did you manage that? How did you go through that to a sustainable point because
1: right. that's what a lot of all of our listeners they when they come here they're they i mean the problem, especially yours that you're fixing to go into is is monumental, and it's the what and how you did it the I mean that's step by yeah. step, I've been missing two before, and it's kind of like when did like uh so, please, I'm sorry. I didn't was, I mean to cut I your know, question that, off, man. I was that's like, a good what, point, like, When did stories, you realize? Okay, too. like I got to start doing a, a freaking routine here because I'm, I'm on my own and I. I, I because the first, I mean, optimism sets in quick, right? You're like I'm a sailor, I can handle it out here.
2: And <laughs> 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 then reality falls shortly behind. My, <laughs> that wasn't my that wasn't my case. My in my case, I was like, "Oh, you are screwed." I mean, literally, I thought I was so screwed. It was like, "Ah, oh, it's going to be weeks to even get to a shipping lane, and I have water." You know, it just the 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 immensity of what you face sometimes can be overwhelming, and that's why about you know in doing different kinds of uh, studies on like you know people on oil rigs with in disasters and 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 you know um, uh, the twin towers and all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, there there are lots of studies out there, and, and, and in the general sense, you know, about 15% of people just can't even deal with it. You know, the impact, even escaping the immediate impact, they'll, you know, smell fire and, and, and hear the alarms go off, and they'll go back to their desks and tidy up and do really dysfunctional things, or they'll just panic, or they'll... Freeze in sp- in space, but once you get through that, then you're you know into the sort of the space where okay i'm I'm away from the immediate threat it's mm-hmm. vaguer and but it's like well, like I say, it's like well, how can I live here? I mean just getting through like I said uh, dealing with the immediate problems, just staying warm enough to get through the night, and then you're trying to stay bailed out, you know focusing on what you have some control of, mm-hmm. what the priorities are, and as best you can, you mentioned the routine, and, I, and and that's really important for all of us to maintain as much of of the routine that we can and where we have no availability to have that routine anymore to maybe even create new ones. So for me, in a very general sense, over the coming days, it was like, well, I'm not... I'm not it's not, wasn't the end of my voyage when I lost my boat I'm still in a boat it's just a little bit more modest than the other one so I'm still on a voyage here well, so I would a keep a log and I would get up in the morning and you know notice where the sun is and do declinations and plot my course and focus on the building ecosystem and how I might exploit that learn how to catch fish you know all all these things but also you know reserve energy and stuff and a lot of it uh in terms of doing things is to focus on not only on the things you can can do but but the you know the big job is like okay I got to drift almost 2000 miles to the caribbean here um but I can't focus on that I got <laughs> oh, that, to focus on that's that's kind of like
1: looking at the end when you're born I always think about how <laughs> I got a long way to go before I get
2: to the end of that. That's right. So so you div- you divvy it up into into achievable little bits that add up to that, you know, for so for me it's like okay, figure out the navigation. You you need to know about where you are. Figure out the fishing, figure out this, figure out that little achievable chunks like um the guys in, uh... touching the void, you know. This guy falls down the crevasse and he get and he his legs broken and whatnot. He literally he knows he's got to literally crawl down this mountain. But what he, what is he focusing on? He's focusing on getting to the next rock and putting all of his focus on that. So I've been there, brother. You know that that's a lot of it <laughs> right? because it takes yeah. in, it takes intense concentration for for doing a lot of this. A lot of times people are you know as in my case, you know, I'd lose about a third of my weight. I'd be dehydrated. You know, you suffer. But both physically and mentally in, in, in things. So you have to stay as focused as you can and just trudge on through it. I mean, and how, take, how you know, big
1: of the, uh, of a vessel were you in?
2: I was in a six person life raft, the certified life raft only four square feet per person. Cause most people are picked up within, you know, 48 hours or something like that. So it, it was, was a little was bit less weeks. than six feet across on the inside. It's like you a know, Zodiac. Just, I don't think it's yeah that well, right. but it's ra- it's like a sport boat, but it's round and oh, it's got okay. a little yeah, tent a over the top it's got a tent over the top. The bottom I had just had a thin rubber floor it's about a sort of sixteenth of an inch of reinforced rubber floor. Rafts now commonly come with um, Certified rafts come with um, inflatable floors or inflatable inserts, which help a lot to insulate. Is that because but, of you? Um, <laughs> hey, look, <the laughs>
1: well, life raft, well, Hey, check it out, man. I want these laugh I want. Yeah. A, I want a recliner in here. I want a TV. I'm going to need some iPads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, the
2: kitchen. Exactly. what I tell. Really I, tell need. I tell people, you know, that that's the the problem that faces the 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 the, 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 the poor people who try to make survival equipment is that when your boat goes down, everybody wants to pull something out of their pocket about the size of a pack of cards and pull a little ripcord and the QE2 inflates right next to you, right? right? You want it all. You want, like you say, chandeliers and somebody to bring you a drink, but <laughs> a unfortunately in terms of weight and space and cost and all that stuff, these are um, they're pretty small craft.
1: When does, I, I gotta hear how you did the water and the that that's a long. If you have something to go ahead, the drinking water. Yeah, when that that started, how you started figuring that stuff out.
2: Well, the drinking water, I had um, I had solar stills, uh, which were um, produced during the Second World War for um, for pilots, um, and the idea was that you take this big balloon, and you you, know, you kind of it's got a, a cotton bit on the bottom, and when cotton is wet, it's airtight, so you can make a. Remember, you can make a sort of emergency life jacket out of a pair of cotton pants or a co- oh, yeah, cotton shirt that you could close up, that kind of thing. And uh and so that but it lets water through. And so you could blow up this balloon and float it in the ocean and pour seawater in it and it would drip down into this black cloth that was suspended inside this balloon and it's, there's a little atmosphere in there so the sun comes out, it evaporates fresh water out which collects on the inside of the balloon and sort of rains down and that's fine in theory but they didn't work and they were getting torn up and whatnot so it took me a while to figure them out i ended up having to decide one was damaged anyway and i was going i don't think i'm going to fix it so i cut it up to figure out how it was made and how it worked and i figured out you couldn't use it as directed but if i used it not as directed it would it it would produce some water about a pint a day, which was, so I had maybe a pint and a quarter, maybe ration a day on average, something like that. Plus I ate fresh fish and and whatnot.
0: Didn't you say at some point that uh, you've investigated this further and that no one has ever actually been able to make one of those solar stills work?
2: I, I say wouldn't that? say that, that 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 I have never <laughs> met or that's spoken or, or. with anybody or read any reference where somebody else has actually gotten one to work in the real environment. Oh, I, that I think funny. that they were uh, they were a great effort and they work in calm di- conditions. But in, in in the sea, you know, you, you've got you know, like if you have got a, a one meter wave or something like that, that's that's pretty benign out there, you know. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it, it just doesn't function the way it was probably designed in a more static environment back then. And there were other others made stills that were a little bit more effective through the years, actually Gore made Gore-Tex. They developed quite an effective still, but the market was so small that they couldn't really, it didn't make any sense. And so they've kind of disappeared now, but what's taken their place are these reverse osmosis pumps. And I also worked a little bit with a company that made a, early version where you have these little pumps and you can basically pump through a molecular molecular membrane uh, fresh water out of out of salt water and so you can uh, you know you survivors can kind of now have an unlimited supply of water which is a really important
1: <laughs> if thing. you got one of
2: those <laughs> that's
1: a yeah. as long as you hey, brought one uh, i mean you couldn't have, you couldn't have lost that thing i mean did you figure out a different way to make water other than that one or was that uh, Obviously captured. They well, didn't the solar, capture, it,
2: right? The solar, yeah, the solar stills, they'd lasted, the other two that I had lasted about, mm, I don't know, three and a half weeks before, like, they they would get damaged. I always used them on the raft, and the cloth in the bottom would kind of rot out and get worn out. And uh, I had very little rainfall for the first three quarters of the voyage. Almost, you know, very little. So I just had to keep, improving my water collection systems by the end of the voyage and then i and i uh, by the end of the voyage i actually had stock carefully stock about eight pints of water so I was kind of being you know producing as much as I was consuming did anybody drive by you while you were out there or f- fly over uh, or? i think <laughs> yeah I, I think there were nine ships I saw one plane towards the very end well, um, way I had all arsenal <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I had a whole, a whole arsenal <laughs> we didn't, we didn't of uh, flares, but, you know, mm. nothing worked in the end. Um, that's just the way it is. Um and, and to I do wasn't r- Exactly. You know, at some point you feel kind of uh, – towards the end I was, like, feeling pretty faded because I had a couple of uh, flares, these, like, hand flares left, but they, I, I, there was no way they were going to go off. They were just sodden bits of mush. And uh, and so there was really I had no more signaling capability. At the, I did have an E at the beginning of the voyage, but that was back in the days when you had to have flights relatively close to your position in order to pick up the signal. So nice. The fall after I got back, E started being picked up uh, by satellite. In fact, a friend of mine uh, was the first person picked up using that mm. system. But that didn't happen until like a year later. now, of course, you know, these the, the way these electronic devices are now, if you if you can get one off, a signal off, you know, people know exactly where you are pretty quickly, which is a amazing thing. But
0: you had even talked about that further and even with the technology now and the fact that there's satellite reception for those, there's just parts of the world that are so remote or without a capability US Coast Guard, for example, a yeah, rescue just capability. Just that that, that, that may not Great even question. work, is that right? Plus they've got
1: I mean, a big survive ocean, right? until I mean, they it's, get to you. Right. Exactly. I mean, they could literally be chasing yeah, yeah. your grid out there. We chase those trying to chase those submarines down, man. We would it's called a we uh-huh. would, there's a turn that we do where you try and catch back up into the box. And if they just yeah. happen to be off the wrong grid at the wrong time, speed and distance and they turn right where right, you're going you're like, Wait a minute, what's going on? And you think it's big on the top; it's real big underneath.
2: Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Interesting what you say because that is true. You know, I mean, I mean, it's over ninety percent of e perp signals are false alarms. You know, they go off for this reason or that. And I've known people uh-huh. to test them and whatnot. And sometimes they malfunction. Some fill up with water, or this or that happens. You can't, po- po- you know, peg all your hope on, on them. But generally speaking, I mean, Jesus before. I don't know, when When did e first come out? I mean, you know, when I first, certainly when I first started sailing, first started sailing offshore, nobody even heard of them. You know, they didn't exist. Oh, 70s, I'm talking, you know, I mean, I think I think the first offshore trip I took was 74 or something like that. No, I was talking
1: about for that radar system, because now, the, I mean, I have one of those watches that you pull the deal on it, man. <laughs> oh, hell, yeah, hell, yeah. Hell. oh, yeah, yeah. Help me.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, help help help. Yeah, help no, me. exactly. So I got I got yeah. tell
1: tell us the first the story about the first fish you caught cuz fishing stories are great. I love hearing them. Wait, 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 let me uh, can I Oh yeah, go I ahead. Want to,
0: I want to do one more thing mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. then let's do that cuz that's interesting this yeah, this whole dorado fish thing he's got. But um regarding those those ship sightings, I imagine at least on the first one and then probably the subsequent next couple. Uh, you'd been out When when was the first uh ship sighting by the way?
2: First, How far for the first was I'd really just sort of gotten to that, um, I call it the survival routine stage, you know, oh. where you've kind of created a new life. I, you know, I was producing water, I caught my first fish, um all, all that stuff uh so it was, i think it was two weeks in i think it was about 14 day 14 something like that yeah the first two ships were difficult because the first one you know of course you're always excited i knew what the realities were i knew a lot of a pe- lot of survivors got passed up by ships so i, I wasn't okay. you know you, uh, you know had a, a reasonable
0: was, expectation
2: yeah, but this ship, I, you know, it was it was really br- you know one of those really clear nights, and I had all kinds of flares. I had these great parachute flares and whatnot. And when I fired, I saw the ship, and I fired the first flare. I could swear it almost changed course, looked like that. But I think that was just wishful thinking or my perspective or something. So it came charging up towards me, and I'm so I'm using more flares, you know, and all kinds of stuff, and I'm drinking water and all of that, you know. And, oh, I'm gonna share this this fresh Dorado with my with the crew and all this. Stuff <laughs> and it just went steaming on by, you know, and uh, you know it was pretty close. I could, you know, I sort of rode over wakes after a little bit, and you know I could smell some diesel in the air and whatnot. So it was probably oh. within a mile, anyway. And uh, uh so it was pretty. It was a big disappointment, and I was, I was, frankly, I was pretty pissed off, but not at the ship. I was pissed off at me because I, you know. I'd let my guard down. I I I wasn't disciplined, and I drank too much water, and I used too many flares, and all this kind of stuff. So, and then the second one went by in the daytime, also very clear. Somebody had been walking around on the deck. I could have told you what color the clothes were, you know, that kind of thing. Oh no
0: kidding! And
2: it just went. They went just steaming right by too. the The rest of them were more distant, and so you know, I don't know. It's not. It's not a huge surprise that they they missed me, especially commercial ships because they don't have. Big crews out there, and they're not like they're not like the Coast Guard doing a search and rescue operation with you know people out with binoculars and using infrared and all this other stuff. So they're
0: just underway. You know, yeah,
2: yeah exactly. I, I can just
0: imagine though how. But even still, you knew the expectations. I mean, but they had to be, to looking be in for that you. situation, yeah, they had to be looking for you. Have them
2: go by. And then I I I knew nobody would be looking for me. I I would have, I was over, you know, because I figured the passage was going to take me a month anyway. So I was weeks in the raft before anybody even knew I was overdue.
1: How long into the, were you at the back end of your trip when it went down?
2: Oh, no. I was like eight days into the crossing. Oh, right. So So, they wouldn't even start looking for you. I figured it was going to take a month. So, you know, people weren't really expecting me. I told people a month, you know, I was hoping I'd do it a little faster than that, but you never know. Well, you took the
1: long route. (laughs) that's (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's <laughs> definitely the
1: scenic long route you took
2: yeah yeah
0: well let's uh you know you had talked a lot about and marcus brought this up about the fishing thing and these these dorado fish and the All right. i guess the sea life which accumulated around the boat and how much of an effect that it had on your whole oh, experience you know
2: what I, the book i wrote adrift you know i i tell people it, it's a fish tale it really is i mean different to me anyway the guy who wrote it you know they're They're the stars of the show um the environment was the star of the show really um I'm just some clumsy idiot who got lost in the middle of the ocean who happened to be trapped there in order to see this amazing world and part of it was the the big the big part of it was was the Dorado. um they showed up within a few days um they were beautiful um uh, could you explain what and, that is
0: and why they showed up yeah
2: well um you mean what what dorado are yes, sir. people know them as they also know them as Mai Mai or dolphin fish they're very easy to find like if you look on the web you know people catch them frequently while sport fishing like off of Florida or oh, the yeah, Bahamas stuff like that they're beautiful fish they're big um i think the among the biggest the dorado caught has been over like six feet and 85 pounds or so um the ones i was that started surrounding the raft were generally much smaller they were oh probably a few feet and i caught one that was almost probably five feet that just about beat me to pieces um, what Would you catch them uh, on? Uh, and there were a couple of really big ones that never got close to the raft. They sort of hovered around on the outside, and the school would build over time. And, in, you know, this has been observed by many survivors. I try to, you know, sort of um, use the metaphor that, 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 that it was an island, um, that anything floating in the, in the ocean becomes an island. It can be in a light bulb. The whole ecosystem develops around that light bulb. I've seen all kinds of stuff afloat that has, you know, re, weed and barnacle, and even, you know, and then it'll collect fish, and then, of course, that eventually, you know, may draw some predators and whatnot. But all, there are all these little ecosystems out there, and, you know, fishermen often know that. You know, tuna fishermen go find some log up floating around off the west coast or something. or other. it's a good chance to maybe some tuna and and all that kind of thing. So, hmm. you know, they slowly built around the uh, the raft, as did you know, fish and barnacles and and all that kind of stuff. And they get got close enough that I could spear them. Um, I had a little little shorty spear gun, almost a toy of a th- thing and at first, I could shoot them, but then the power strap disappeared, and so I had to tie it together and then jab at' them. and I don't know it was quite a quite a learning experience I'll tell you um and <laughs> you know they showed me very quickly that they were they were the masters of that domain they were out there making love and having a good time, and mm-hmm. I was dying so um uh, they became sort of my friends. I got to know a lot of them individually by their behavior patterns and all that kind of stuff. And of course, they fed me. Um, so, and at one point, uh, they were also a danger. They're big and strong, and I'm fishing in an inflated raft with a spear, you know, trying to keep it from, keep from damaging it, uh, which they did. And eventually, like, well, I don't know, two thirds of the way of the voyage, I think it was my 30th to 43rd day, I got a really big. Um, cut tear through the bottom of the tube of the raft and that just about did the end so they almost killed me, but by the end of the voyage, uh, once I dealt with that, which was really the most grueling part of the voyage, and struggled on and got to the Caribbean, in the end they they literally also brought my salvation because, again, this thing we talk about, natural literacy, you know, fishermen came out from the island and they saw all these birds hovering around out to sea, which is, you know, sign something's going on out there. So they came out to find fish, and there I was in the middle of a bunch of fish. <laughs>
0: And they were very disappointed.
2: <laughs> so how oh, they, they, they <laughs> weren't disappointed at all because I, I was in pre- I was so happy. You wouldn't believe how I happy I was. I can't imagine how oh, happy you were. Somebody's, somebody's actually come up and talked to me. They know I'm here and and they're <laughs> offering to take me away. And But I have water and it's early in the day and, you know, I have something to share with these guys and it's these fish. And so they buzzed around and fished for, you know, a couple hours. And then it started getting what I call the afternoon bake-off when I was really the heat was really pounding in the end. And, and uh, so they came back, and we loaded up the raft and zoomed into the island.
0: What shape were you in at that point?
2: That's unbelievable. After 76 um,
0: days, what what was your condition? I mean, how much I,
2: yeah, time did you think I, you had left? I was left? dehydrated. Yeah. I was dehydrated, obviously. I had... Uh lost about a third of my weight, which is quite common with oceanic survivors after a period of several weeks, let's say. Um you lose a lot of weight right away, but it changes your metabolism. Starvation changes the way you metabolize stuff and all this. So uh the weight loss you know, gets progressively it's still it's still happening, but it's progressively less. But so you you know, I've eaten parts of my muscle tissue and stuff by that time, but mm-hmm. um uh so I'm pretty skinny um and I have a lot of salt water sores these little boils that then break open and become skin ulcers um which are quite painful because you live in a salt crusted environment oh, sure. so it's not it's not a, it's not a lot of fun but they heal up relatively quickly so otherwise I was in pretty good kit I could in the raft I learned how to you know I could stand up with you know lightly hanging onto the canopy Um, and in calm conditions, actually might not even hang on to it and could just kind of sit down walking on this waterbed. And I was doing yoga exercises uh, on a pretty regular basis. That's what I was going to ask you. How did you – Life raft yoga exercises. (laughs) How did you break up the –
1: talk about the day routine that that, that it takes and the mindset it takes to go another day, another day, and at what point did you just decide, like, I'm going to stay here and do this until –
2: Fish swimming in. Oh, I don't know. It's a day by day thing. I I don't know about your guys' experiences, and, and 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 it'd be interesting here you you address this. But I mean, my general experience in survival mode, um, your ups. Are incredibly high, actually, and your downs are incredibly down. Uh, and it's like I don't know if you ever read *The Wind in the Willows*, but it's like Mister Toad. You know, you feel like you're brilliant one moment, and you feel like you're a complete well, loser but, but the but next. But stupid. The next. <laughs> oh, everything. Nah. You know, and 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 it's because you know, all of a sudden, some little problem happens, and your world is so dependent on every little detail, so the, the tiniest problem can kill you. And so, some little problem happens, you can go to the depths of despair, and then you figure out a solution, and you're like the king of the world, you know? And um, so, I, I think a lot of that is one reason why a lot of survivors I've spoken with miss elements of it, you know, like um, Anando mm-hmm. Parada, who was amongst the, the survivors of the Andes air crash that everybody knows from Alive yeah, and everything right. like that. We did a show once together. And we were talking in the corner and, he, and we were talking about this element of, you know, these are such important moments in our lives and everything means so much. And that there's certain elegance and grace that comes out of them at times that he said, sometimes I just wish I'd be back in the mountains of all things, you know, and, uh, I don't ever want to go back to that place, but, um, there are a lot of very powerful emotions and things attached to it that, you know, you you can only really get through going through.
1: Well, you develop, time. eventually you develop a calm with your environment and, though and you yeah. realize, and you, and you, once you've l- kind of looked around and, and, and know that something was going to kill you in the blink of an eye and you step back and then you kind of restart recreating yourself in your new environment and it's a step-by-step right, yeah. step process in those highs, those big highs and big lows, you know, then they, you kind of dwindle those down to where they each one of them feeds the other and ultimately mm-hmm. it, it kind of creates an equilibrium to where it's nothing but a high if you're if you're in that kind of environment cuz you're just living a day your day-to-day thing and the the, yeah. the, the little yeah. gifts you get from that from those those happy moments most people take them for granted throughout the day those little signs yeah. those little happy Gifts, right? They get thrown your. I don't know right. if you're a spiritual man, but God's definitely looking out for you when he's out there, brother.
2: <laughs> so when yeah, when, when yeah, something delivers, I don't, I don't, I don't have, I don't have a kind of a common religion. I, my religion is more, I don't know. It's, it's, it's somewhat different. I think a lot of it comes out. Actually, I don't talk about religion in in a drift, but I hope, I hope that a lot of people certainly have... That you know, Adrift is a spiritual book uh, in a lot of ways. A lot of has to do with spirituality. I feel towards the environment and just being a part of it all, and uh, and the grace that that delivers us. Um, oh,
1: we make a lot of noise as humans. I mean, and it kind of it kind of echoes even when when not even a lot of people are around, and it pulls you away from the natural environment. When all that right. big city noise and everything gets stripped away from you, and it's just you back out there in the elements, then you hear. Everything the environment's saying to you—from you can hear the wind talking, the water talking, the fish around there—they all—they all talk to each other because they live with each other. When you get thrown yeah. back in that environment, and that's all you can focus on. When you're—that's different, isn't it, bro? Because same thing happened to me. I, when I got thrown in mine, and you don't speak the language—I mean, there's a whole reality going on around you that you just weren't ready for. As soon as you get your wits about you and realize that you can survive in it, then you just start learning how to adapt to your new environment.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had to. I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I had, you know, experience, and I had, you know, I had my little tantrums, and I, I lost it at times. There was a part of me. A lot of uh, of the story, the way and the way I approached it is, I, I kind of felt like there were almost like three of me that there was like a physical part, you know, if I looked at myself as just the physical part and part of me was an emotional part and part of me was sort of a rational part of Captain Bly almost that would come in between the two. Everything had its different needs. There was a lot of stress from that, but somehow, I mean for me, I you know you guys are probably way tougher than I am. I know a lot of other people are way tougher than I am, but so I, I I struggle on and my approach to things generally is pretty modest. It's like keep moving forward, you know and hopefully eventually this will change it will I'll get out of here. Um, there are a lot of precious moments I had from that experience, but I certainly I realized it was a you know it was a very threatening experience, and like on the, by the 50th day after I'd hold the bottom of the raft, and I, you know I almost didn't have a choice anymore. It was like I was so done in that I really didn't know if I was going to make it through the night. I thought this is it, you know, and it scared the hell out of me. And then I kind of pulled myself together a little bit and figured figured out one, you know, gave it one last shot. And fortunately, it worked because I don't think I would have had more than one more shot at it. And sometimes you get to that point where it's like, you know what? we all have our limitations and nobody gets out of here alive, you know, overall. So there's going to be a day when that happens, but that, that was true both in the life raft and like going through leukemia and stuff. There are a lot of times where it's like, you, you know, you feel like you're, you're on you're very aware that you, you are on the edge. You're not just joking around. It's it's not like a yard over there or a yard over there. You're right on that razor edge. Fortunately for me in my life, I've had great support uh, um, other than being in the life raft, which was rather alone, but, Even there, I felt support of other people. So you know, you you feel that, and for whatever reason, uh, you know, I had a lot of unfinished business back when I was 30 years old. That's right, got something to do. (laughs) uh, You know, I I had I had life to live. I hadn't really lived much of a life. I'd failed a lot of my life. So you know, I I had reason to kind of get my act together.
1: Oh, that's just training. Those failures in the beginning, like for the first 40 years, is just ultimately training. And then, after that, man, then you get to apply it.
2: The gold is, is forged right? in fire. Yeah, the most precious <laughs> stones on this
1: planet, man, they're forged in
2: pressure. And uh, Well, Jesus, I, I don't know, though, because I still feel like I'm in training, and I'm 67.
1: Oh, no, I, did, I didn't say it ever ends. I just said it, st- it kind of starts, and then when you get into it, oh, it's see. the experience, right? It's kind of from zero to yeah. 40, we have an opinion, and then after that, perspective drops in, and hopefully then some wisdom. Uh, and it's always yeah, hopefully. always something to do. I mean, it's a yeah. game of life. It's to be played every day. You get up and... Yeah. Once you can appreciate it, and it takes those moments, those hard times to appreciate the good ones. I mean, just think about that, how the worst stuff that you've been through, I mean, the spice you have to have for life has got to be epic every day, even when you crawled back into that boat and went back out on the water.
2: Yeah, yeah, I—I I mean, you know what? Uh, yeah, a lot of people seem, uh, a lot of people seem surprised that I go back sailing. You know, it's sort of been the oceans have been all my life. But you know, that, I find that common too. That you know, most people who go through things, it's not like they quit what they're doing. Race car driver has an accident, he doesn't stop being a race car driver. Yeah, it does who a Firefighter
1: are. or a police officer, or anybody else? I mean, it wasn't the water's exactly. fault. I mean, I mean it, you're out there doing your thing. It's—it's a—it's a competition or it's an arrangement, an agreement, a relationship, however you want to say it. Sometimes yeah. when you're out there, you get smashed around a little bit, and then sometimes yeah. you can bask in the sun and have a, a perfect day that's 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 what it's supposed to be like if it was one way the entire time it'd be boring, yeah. you, you wouldn't even have yeah. any sailing stories if it was just like it went out there and came back yeah, <laughs>
2: you know what I, mean? yeah I remember yeah, I remember this guy we i'd done um we were doing the um a single handed race down to bermuda and this guy Tom, we were all at the Equa bar afterwards and uh this guy Tom he goes off for a bit and calls his calls back home and he comes back and he goes you know what those fools think i'm out here having fun they have no uh, idea right? why we do this cuz <laughs> it's not like fun it's an experience and part of it is that you do go through those ups and downs and challenges and stuff like that. You know, I think a, an awful lot of people I have a little hard time relating to directly because the, their their whole life seems to be, you know, uh, well, let me let me be safe, let me be let me eliminate risk. You know, which first of all is impossible, but secondly is is I think foolish because you don't you don't get used to dealing There's no reward. With how are you gonna have a reward? Yeah. There's no
1: risk. It's, it's not a reward. It's just yeah. it's a thing, right? And I mean, people learn how to sail. You get your boat. You go out, and, and they there's it's a it's a competition in itself on how to who who can best not dominate, but w- learn to work with the water and make their craft as smooth as humanly possible. It is, and it's an experience. And every time you go out there, there's a a risk because that there's also a reward. Everything. I mean, if you just sit around and, like you said, you don't try to get hurt. It's not. I'm not going out here to get hurt. I'm going in here to exist in this realm. And, and in order to do that, there's this much pain involved on this side, and this much glory right. on this side.
2: There are limits, though. You know, as the saying goes. You know, in a in a in a bacon and egg breakfast, you know, the the uh, the egg is involved, but the the pig is dedicated, and it just depends on how much you want uh-huh. to be dedicated, I guess. <laughs>
0: Can we go back and talk about pain for a minute? Because uh, you'd mentioned those sure. ulcers and the condition that you were in right before you got picked up there, but we kind of breezed over it. And these ulcers, the, the I guess the it's due to salt exposure, right? It develops into a pimple, and then eventually it, it grows into an open ulcer and a sore. You had to deal with that for weeks on end and whatnot. How did you? I mean, did you find methods of of being you know finding some kind of comfort or how did you deal with that? Mm. Like every time a problem presented itself, there's a itself, lot of people, dude, lot def- of people answer, that have yeah. continuing, you know, continuing difficulty, continuing pain. Mm-hmm. How did you, how did you handle that?
2: Uh, well, generally when I've had pain issues, you know, part of it actually, it may seem odd, but a part of it is, is I focus on it for a bit, you know, hmm understand the nuances of it okay so this is it okay it comes from here to here and i feel that And all right all right and then um part of it is you know the body uh in a way i find that the body goes in cycles too that it gives you you sometimes it just it seems to like I, I'm I'm tired of this. I can't handle this anymore, and it kind of shuts that da- shuts down like pain sensors and stuff. I, I feel like for me anyway. Sometimes it can cycle through, so you take advantage of that. Sort of like little plateaus as you're climbing up a hill. Part of it's just like sucking it up. Just keep <laughs> sucking it up. Yeah. I mean, honestly, not and then not thinking about it. I mean, sometimes I've ha- I've been able to kind of control pain, almost like meditating on it. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Hmm. And sometimes, like if there's nothing else to do in a life raft, a lot of what you have to do is also, um, you know, you're you're rationing everything, including your own energy, you know, when to expend it. So a lot of times when you can, you're just like being immobile and it's like, oh, now the pain's right here. And usually that's like, you know, you're sitting on a cushion that's got all this... You know, salt on it and it's being rubbed directly into these sores and stuff like that. So, so, it's not a good time, obviously. And then in so in those kinds kinds of situations, sometimes like meditating on it it helps. But um, most of the time, it's like, well, I gotta work. I gotta do right. stuff. I ain't got time, time to worry about this, it. man. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know. No, it's not. Good, but um, it's, I can still function with it. I can understand debilitating pain, though, where you actually can't. You you know, it's just beyond right. comprehension. You can't do it. Like when I've gone in the hospital, you know, I always think it's kind of silly this. Well, tell me what your pain is. Is it 1 to 10? And I go, well, what's 10? And the nurse says, well, it's like having a baby. And I said, well, that's difficult for me to relate to. All right. But, you know, I feel like a 10 <laughs> should be I'm passing out. I'm literally passing out, so I never have declared that I'm at a ten. I figure, you know, eight is bad enough, and uh, and that's that's all that's come to debilitating. You know, there are times where really you ju- it just is kind of overwhelming. But um, most, you know, in I felt like I was fortunate in so many regards. I had just enough water. I had just enough food to feed myself. My, la- my ra- raft lasted just enough uh, of a long time. You know, I had just the right environment in order to survive. And part of that was I had just the right amount of pain. I didn't have so much that it was, um, you know, it was too much for me to handle.
1: Right. Hmm. Well, you only get what you can handle, right? And a little bit more just to test you.
2: Yeah, I guess. I mean, we always push our – we always discover – I I think this is also universal or pretty near universal amongst the survivors I've spoken with over the years is that we all end up learning through these experiences that we're way tougher and way more resilient than we ever imagined we would be beforehand. I don't know. Do you guys find that? Well, that's what our training is
1: designed for, the whole – premise behind the beginning of it is to show you what exactly is you think you're capable of and what you're actually capable of and they take us all the way yeah. to the end of that uh, up to when the guys die right and, and right. then we don't back up we hold that position and we just keep pushing and pushing until you realize that it's a machine that you're running and just like if you're driving your car and a, a rock comes up and hits the side and puts a dent in it same thing if you get hit in the side well that that dent's not going to stop the whole machine This is keep powering through it. And it's literally focused on something in front of you. So, so intently that the, the, the the receptors don't have time to break any part of that off to go tell you that you're in pain.
0: Everything's focused on everything else. Yeah, I think it's a recognition of just how ignorant your frame of reference is in the beginning. And then it's, you know, striking out against those difficulties and whatnot that expand your awareness of what you can deal with. And,
1: yeah, that's what that taught him. That's what it teaches us. It's like what we're actually capable of. Otherwise, you yeah. wouldn't know. You, you never would have right. been able to find out know. what you're capable of unless you got put in that position. There's no other way to get that yeah. out of you. And
0: that goes back to yeah. part of what you were talking about with, you know, a lot of people just try to avoid the those low, low. They try to live a safe life. Right. They try to, to live in a the most safe bubble space possible and well, oh, your reality—that—that that, <laughs> that probably contributes to your survivability in the long term, but it really takes a lot of the color out of life.
2: Oh uh, man, well, that, that, yeah, the spice everything. Actually, I'm not sure—is it? I actually don't think it does contribute to to survivability over the long term, because mm-hmm. I think that you know, basically, life is training for the next experience, and that's you know, you talk about your training—that's it. You know, I mean, we go through life, and if you can kind of deal with stuff, or you can pretend it's not there, you know, I, I, I steadfastly maintain that denial is the absolute worst enemy of the survivor from square one from the to the time of impact uh, denial is a killer you have to realize immediately as quickly as you can like what's the situation what's the reality here what are the risks what are the you know how do how you how do you do all that stuff and right, right to the end, um, you know, it, things are exactly what they are. You might like them, you might dislike them, but if you are in denial about what they are, you, you can't deal with problems. You know, I mean, for me, lo- dealing with a problem is looking really closely at exactly what it is. And then, you know, a solution comes out. Oh, right. like it's like some two Road, man. Plugging a hole. Yeah.
1: Know yourself, know you your know. enemy, and and. and. In a thousand battles, you'll never lose, right? So know yourself, what you're capable of. Know what's sitting in front of you, what you're about to deal with, and if you if you can have if you got that, then everything else is learned.
2: Yeah. So and you know you go along in life, and we have these experiences, but some people don't want to. You know, they let other people deal with their problem, or they Mm -hmm. pretend it goes away, and of course, it doesn't. It comes back to bite them again and again and again. But you know. I that's trying to avoid risk. And I so I actually think it's almost the most risky behavior you can have that actually you, you're better off just kind of going along, bumping along in life. And, you know, when you fall down, try to get back up.
0: I think this is a, a great time to – we always go into – unless you have another question. I'd no, like no, to go I'm, into the – This is great. Go, we always go try ahead. to wrap up by trying to coalesce what we've learned here into some just – points of advice you know what I mean and it's been you've had a lot of life after this and you've learned a lot since that experience and that was 30 what 37 36 years ago what if you could just put down some lessons learned just generally in life things that you think are very valuable to pass on to anybody listening
2: what would, what would that Jeez, be? I don't know. I think we talked. About, I think we talked about most of them, actually. Um, you know, taking things day at a time, accepting things for what they are, trying to at least appreciate if you can't in in some level. Like I knew when, I knew. My wife says, you know, the key line in a drift for her is, which came directly from the log that I was keeping at the time. She says, you know, there's a point where I write, "This is a view of heaven from a seat in hell." you know, and she goes, that, that kind of sums it up. It was a really unpleasant experience in many ways, but at least I could see even within it that there were things of beauty and meaning that came out of it. So, you know, that's a big part of it to me, I guess, if I have any little bit of wisdom, is that I discovered that in that experience. And it and it came into play in so many parts of my life since. Uh, you know, I've gone through all kinds. I've faced lots of different little crises in my life and stuff you know offshore you can't help but do that and uh, and, and so on but especially when I was treated for leukemia um, I kept that in mind and I and, and it was the same in the same uh, in a very different kind of way you know every experience is unique but even then I could see when I was going through it I was so touched by um, I don't know people's capacity for compassion you know all these people trying to help me and stuff like that which just it was it was almost overwhelming, and um, I still feel that today too from all these things. So you know these experiences they're they're tough, and we don't. We, as I say, you know none of us get out gets out of here alive. But um, while I'm still on the ride, hopefully I'll you know no matter what I'm going through, I'll at least be able on some level to to appreciate you know the good bits that are that are happening around me.
1: That's great, man. That that's true. Your dirt. story is great. That that advice is great. I've always been you know show. Always just show me what that present something to me that I'm afraid of, and I'll show you what I'm made of. I mean, I'll just kind of, <laughs> like you know what I mean? I, 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 I can't. You can't help it, right? There's that spirit inside of us that kind of pushes us forward. And even when we get, I like to say, sometimes, man, in life you get your ass whipped. And sometimes, you know, you get your ass whipped all the way back to mother, right? <laughs> you know, I was like, man. Right. <laughs> or you're just right. back there licking your wounds, man. And then you just come, you know, take a step back out. Because just because you got whipped, I mean, that's just, it's, everything's still there. And and that adventurous spirit, you just kind of, it, it gave you a new, sometimes you, when you bite off more than you can chew, you, it, it'll choke you up a little bit. But you can still remember what the taste What was like, right? And and that in itself,
2: oh, absolutely, that in itself
1: drives you. That there, there's, there's a lot more out there because anything that's dangerous and that can punish us like that means that there's a there's, there's a whole world going on in there with that. You step back into the into the void, you know, into the breach every time, and just get ready for what comes down the road that's the adventure that's that's the chaos right yeah. that's the that's the ride man so you are a living embodiment of that thank you for sharing that story with everybody by the way yeah for sure
2: oh you're welcome sure. you're welcome thanks for you thanks for you guys time and may you have um, many, many great adventures. Uh, you too, brother. <laughs> but but keep, your, keep your feet dry. <laughs> well,
0: bef- right before we go here, we just want to ask you what you're up to. I mean, uh, yeah, if you have you? any projects uh, on
2: that, you do have
0: obviously your, your book Adrift, which was uh, named by National Geographic Explorer, one of the hundred greatest uh, survival books of all time. That's awesome. Wh- what do you have going on right now? Or where can people find you? If, uh,
2: oh. I'm, I'm much slowed down these days. Um, I'm kind of semi-retired. I, do, I still get involved in different projects, but my wife and I built our own house in Maine. And uh, I don't know. I have a website. People can, you know, if you go on the web, you'll find stuff about me and whatnot. And I, and I get involved in this and that. I'm working on a little project now that I can't actually talk about. But... Um, Uh, It's very interesting, Mm and I I still peck away at books. Um, I haven't been contributing too much to magazines in recent years, but I did a lot of that over the years. Um, Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of project-oriented, but right now uh, I'm just waiting for spring and uh, get, getting to work on this little boat. But, you know, I'm getting on in life. So I'm I'm at a different stage, and uh, it's it's all good, really. Well, it
0: sounds like you're still following your passion, so.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. and we're so enamored with all your story, I didn't even ask you about your
0: family. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've done this, and there's so many other things we could have asked. I mean, we could go on for three more hours. You guys got probably. everything,
1: man. Yeah, so... Every story that's ever been written, every movie that's been played out is waiting to be relived again in, in our kind of time frame in our era. Those those magical sea stories that you hear about about humans just going yeah. through those crazy yeah. endeavors, right? Anytime you're going up against nature, it's gonna hit you like that. And um some right. of those people who make it through the gauntlets make tell the best stories and, and you do, man. You you're a, you're a definite master of your trade, so Good job on all that
2: hard work. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, actually, one thing that I really have been enjoying as uh, you know people come to these these projects about other people who've 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 done amazing things. So um, uh, I will mention that when uh, uh, there was a documentary filmmaker who who did this the film about Robert Manry. So we spent some time together. That was always fun. That's been that's been part of the blessing of my life, this whole, it's amazing how this experience has really put me in touch with so many incredible people, and they all have amazing stories. Um, so I hope I'll continue to do that, too. In fact, I heard from another life raft survivor just the other day, this guy Bill Butler, who survived 66 days in the Pacific with his uh, with his wife. Oh, I don't know when that would have been. It would have been probably 10, maybe well, probably about the same time as me, actually. Maybe in the late '80s, something like that. I'll Tell you what, there's a guy who lived in the
1: town across from me. He's a he was a police officer, and he he was out in the Gulf, and his his boat went down. I think they were out him and another dude were out there for about 60 something days. It's still happening.
2: <laughs> oh, definitely. And there's I I also spent some time with this guy uh, Jonathan Franklin, um, actually on the phone because he's down in South America, and he wrote a book, 438 Days, which is about this. Um, uh, he's actually, I think he's from El Salvador, but he was fishing out of Mexico in um, in a ponga, you know, twenty five foot fiberglass boat. And he and a mate his, uh, you know, the, had a there was a storm and the engine quit and he went drifting all the way across the Pacific. Took him over a year oh, and good uh, Lord. washed up on the other side yeah yeah pretty astounding that's so. amazing yeah stuff happens that stuff is a lot happens. It, it happens man. <laughs> there I it am. is oh, stuff wow. happens yeah.
1: that's <laughs> yeah. amazing roger that that's definitely going on the wall of fame
0: well steve
2: <laughs>
1: man we, re- we really appreciate you yes, uh sitting you so down taking time with to us man it's been a pleasure to get to know well, you well
2: thanks for the conversation yeah. i appreciate it and um as i say you guys um i don't know Knock yourself out. Do whatever you want to do. (laughs) Have fun. All right, we will. We will. Take care. God bless, brother. Thanks. All right, cheers.
0: Wow. So, that was interesting, right? We could have gone on forever with never that. It
1: never seems to amaze me, our guests, what they bring to the table. Literally every time somebody comes, last one, you're like, man, that's the craziest thing I ever heard.
0: <laughs> Sometimes you just get caught up listening to The human to spirit and you just want to, be, just to keep, survive. Just keep talking. Yeah, just keep going, man. Just just the the he's it. human spirit and its willingness to survive is unbelievable. I mean, that's, that's something that we continually get into on this. And I mean, we've ex- we've experienced that in buds and the expansion. We kind of talked about that in the interview. Yeah. The expansion of that. Well, that's the greatest part about our program.
1: And that's what makes it so unique as they snatch everything away from us. Not only that, they put us in pain and chaos and then try to survive in constant pain and chaos. Try to pay attention during all that.
0: That's a learning environment.
1: It is man. It's fast. It's so fast. It, it, It doesn't give you enough time If you're truly focused on it, it doesn't give you enough time to think about anything else, and it definitely allows that learning curve to go in a
0: (laughs) steep, yeah, steep direction. Well, you know, it um, was—I really, I think we got a lot out of the when he was talking about that period of recoil. You know, after you've kind of adjusted the initial shock and impact or whatever it is, but then kind of his method, you know, getting into routine, kind of just focusing on the practical aspects of. Surviving, yeah, transitioning survival, into, into the new something that will hopefully be sustainable. Right. I kept thinking about you know your experience. As right. Far as... Exactly. And the problem with that is,
1: is when the old life comes barreling back in there, right? Because you're trying right. to make sure you're getting in this new routine. Everything's been taken away from you. And mine's a little different. If someone's always trying to kill you, but without same thing with well, with him though, man. And everything's trying to kill, trying to kill him ass. as well. <laughs> exactly. I said that completely wrong. <laughs> It's kind of a a time of reflection, you know. No pun intended. Him looking in the water and seeing his reflection back there, but it's just like, all right, now I'm about to see what you're made of. I'm gonna see if you've been paying attention this whole time. Hmm. If you were a sailor, or and you were truly, kn- you knew all and everything you were supposed to know. <laughs> And, uh, because we were talking about that man it was like, like jason uh, uh born and james bond you know they can just remember everything they've ever been taught at the drop of a hat it's amazing to watch them go through all that right yeah <laughs> with us that's why we're in a team because each guy has a skill set you know his ass better remember so when we get into it we're like hey it's, you're
0: up right <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> but if all
0: that way it is snatched- not humanly possible to maintain no. all of that skill set no, all uh, of the time That you're someone who still thinks that's possible it-
1: yeah, you so, can't, and you know why? Because there's just not enough time in the day to train for all of that. Exactly, <laughs> Practice <yeah>. it. No, <laughs> but he used he, to do these long workups, yeah. and that would only cover well. It would mostly cover the stuff we didn't even get into. What A lot of the stuff well, I'm just think about our workup all the extensiveness and everything that we do. Sierra and Land Specialist, mm-hmm. but when we go into our war, our box, right? What are we primarily dealing with? Just your, and, yeah, and, and, and then it, well, and it depends and because, on
0: what's going on in the world, exactly. And the, most recently, because
1: it's 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 not it's dynamic it's not static it's moving all the time you got to and, and unless you're in that in that realm working that area then you don't have any idea what's going on in there
0: you just don't yeah right you're focused on certain skill sets depending
1: on what you your ha- immediate task is right? which is when whatever you know reality or situation that you're you're dumped into man that is what you focus on especially if there's you know survival going on the beautiful part about this day and age in, in this country especially man is uh, it allows us to kind of take it easy. You know what I mean? There's there's so many amenities and everything that we have and the luxuries that we have. We actually forget how to do stuff because of technology that we that we should know how to do.
0: Oh, that can contribute to a serious weakness on our part. Becoming Correct. complacent. Yeah. And I'm not talking about the teams here. I'm just talking about life in general. And even once, you know, a person transitions out of, say, the military, somewhere where they were really challenged like that. There's the propensity to, it's not necessarily become lazy, it's just to become accustomed to too much comfort and you become weakened. You remember that scene in Apocalypse Now? I love that part in the beginning. And he's in the hotel room in the very beginning and he's thinking, you know, every moment. That I'm in this hotel room, I'm hey, getting weaker, and every time Charlie so get, squats in the jungle, yeah,
1: exactly, he's getting stronger. It's also stronger. a major pain. Do you so see true. major pain. <laughs> 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 he reenacts that that bedroom scene when he's in there doing it. Oh yeah, remember that? He's in there doing yeah. all that. That well, that's a great. That's it. That's a great way to it's, say that. And it can be worse for guys like us because we try to get so in tune and proficient in our environment. So if our environment is is com- all laziness and, and all, we have everything, we can we are experts at getting lazy.
0: <laughs> we are experts. You know, I'll well, learn, it's adapting to your environment. Yeah,
1: exactly. Because that remote control, I was like, I need to know how to master that thing and do all that. And do, just just
0: <laughs> Before we go too far into this, I want to ask you. Where the hell and, are we at anyway? Well, I thought I, we I, said I, we were, we're going to do we're, we're, We We digress. <laughs> but I want to ask you one more thing about something he brought up and he was talking about back in that period of recoil and he was talking how coming to terms with your predicament and not resisting the need to beat yourself up over your mistakes. Mm-hmm.
1: Did you can't do that? I mean, cause then you get down. Like if you, if you make the only way you can make a mistake is if you're trying,
0: right? Does that ring? Did that ring true? When oh, you sure. think back specifically Yeah, man. post, Immediate engagement once you've broken contact and yeah. all that stuff.
1: Yeah, man. I, I uh, since you don't know, I mean, even if you know what to do, you don't know if you're supposed to do it, right? You know, you know, mm-hmm. you know, like, hey, man. I, I, uh, but it's it's kind of faith, right? It's like you got to let go. You just got to let go, man, and, and see how this thing plays out, and rely on all your skill sets. And that's what's so important about having a team around you. They help you out, man. There's, but once you, if you do go at it alone. Your team never really leaves you. All that—that's when all that information comes pouring back in. Because you may not remember how to do something specifically, but you can remember your buddy doing it and how he did it because you loved watching him. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's—that's that's the best part about watching somebody do something for, like a sport or something. Watch it, kind of get familiar with it before you go try it, and then you train in it. And then as it goes along, you—you you get better and better. It, it goes back to that whole thing about man, cause we can't remember everything we're supposed to that we've been taught, right? So what happens right. is, is we get put in a situation where we have to do it, <laughs> and then you wing it, right? You kind of like, all right, I remember halfway going <laughs> through this, and then as you start easing into it, the parts you don't remember, you're going to be reminded because sla- you get slapped in the face with it. And then learning in the environment is much easier than stepping back and trying to look and watch somebody do it.
0: Huh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, it's, you adapt. And the longer it goes, the more that you're out there and you're in it, and you're going through it, the better you get at it. It will just come naturally, right? And you just it, it has to. And the only thing I think that would prevent that is just being absolutely afraid.
0: We touched on that as well a little bit in the beginning about how some people are just OBE, overcome by events. Yeah, <clears throat> you know what I mean. Yeah, you freeze in it, a you, crisis yeah, situation. You can't even believe it. <laughs> oh yeah, there's we were when we were in the teams.
1: I don't remember what class it was, but I, I remember this guy was—he was doing a PowerPoint presentation. Might, might have been one of my 18 Delta classes. Anyways, he had the slide up, and it was a, a picture of a police officer, and they were coming out of one of the towers, and, and, one the, and they were in a stairwell, mm-hmm. and he had a lady with him. I think the guy was like, "Hey, what do you notice about this picture?" And we we're sitting there looking at it and kind of staring at it, and all the team guys were like, "Ah." Oh. The stairwell, you know, it's it's a blind corner and blah blah blah. And like, we just saying everything, but what he wanted us to focus on. And uh, he's like, look at his eyes. He's like, what do you see in his eyes right there? And I was kind of looking, at it and everything had drawn the. It was flush through there. He's like, that's fear. He's like, that's what you, when you know someone has fear. He's like, he's, but this guy. This police officer, he, he died in the tower because he kept going back up. He goes, this, oh. this was in the beginning, and this is how the fear was when, when it's there. Like, it's a real thing. Fear can show up. <laughs>
0: so he, it was, he was demonstrating what? It,
1: overcoming fear. Because overcoming even
0: though. Or, or being able to. Op- operate in it. Being able to effectively operate.
1: Yeah, because once you harness your fear, which is what we've been taught fear. to do, that becomes fuel, right? And that moves you back and forth in that situation it 's kind of like that adrenaline it 's like a special uh fuel that we get to have when you 're in that it's a, you drive right and all fear is is the un, is you' not you have no idea what 's about to happen that 's it, and the only way you can find out is to go in it and being that fear keeps you sharp right it keeps your head up and keep moving around because when you don't have that you just you're, everything's normal. you go back to like all oh, right that's cool man, everything's kind of homeostatic. But when that fear kicks in, that, that's getting your body ready, and all of your senses are ready for the situation that's about to get dumped on you. The one of the when I say the gifts you get when you're in situations like that is you can tap into that quick, when normally you can't.
0: And the only I think way it's it, a learned response too, though. Or well, at least can, like, it can be enhanced over time as you continually get exposed to it. Oh, you, sure, it's like
1: when uh, my kid it, scratches. You can,
0: you can that be that can be trained that can be trained into you. Absolutely, you can learn to take advantage of it because as you know- well as the controlling. Because there's the aspect of the fear response that is that is, you know, it it really shuts down your your fine motor skills, uh, your critical decision making. And all that stuff, but when you are exposed, to that over time you can learn to oh, yeah. effectively Absolutely. harness that. We do that every day. Suppress the negative effects of it.
1: Sure do. Yeah, we do that every day, like with our kids. Axe when he uh, fell down, cut his. We well, got cut in the face one time. He fell off a deal. Every... There was a lot of blood. Everyone that she was crying, they were freaking out and everything like that. And brought her up. Kind of did the deal. Patched him up. And he's like, "Well, why don't you cry, Daddy, when you get hurt?" I was like, "Well." I... When I scratched my knee for the first time or when I got my first black eye, I did cry because I thought, I mean, I, I didn't know what the pain was. I saw my blood. I thought it was the end of the world. But then as I got older and I got, it happened more and more, you realize that won't kill you and it doesn't really even hurt that bad. So that's when people cut, get a paper cut or a splinter or something like that. It's not the end of the world. They don't even pay attention to it because in your mind, you can, as you get old, this comes with time too, man. This is <laughs> I mean, some people at a young age have this gift, right? But most people don't. It's like that 40 years of darkness and 40 years of fire. It's just Mm -hmm. gold is forged in it. So as over time you realize what affects you and what doesn't. And just like you said, it's learned Mm -hmm. learning how to deal with it is because it's all inside of you. Everything's already in there. It's just a matter of you going through the day-to-day process of unlocking it. And the only way you can unlock some of this stuff is to get in bad situations, unfortunately.
0: Well, I think that's what we saw with Steve. You know what I mean? He obviously found himself in a situation where he had to survive, and uh, he adapted to it. And he grew and expanded a lot as a human being as well through that, I'm sure. And I think that's served him well over the past 35 years. So, you know, thanks to Steve for coming on. It was, it was an honor to have you. I mean, I think we could talk to him again sometime and go and break go down into a lot every week aspects. yeah
1: that every week of that just there, over there's time so,
0: there's, so there. there's so much there so much there so you bro. want to do some uh let's do a little housekeeping here before we get into a reader story huh? all right guys how you can listen to us you can stream us
1: directly from our website at tnqpodcast.com virtually any other podcast app whether iphone or android on itunes stitcher podcity castbox and radio public anywhere you can download or stream you can find us Look us up.
0: All right, and uh, if you want to follow us on social, first you can start out looking up Team Never Quit, and you'll find you can follow uh, you can follow us on any major social media outlet. But then, uh, specifically on Instagram, you can follow the show here at TNQ Podcast. You can follow Marcus at Marcus Latrell, and you can follow me at the underscore wizard underscore TNQ.
1: If you're still running out of ideas, get on the laptop, type in tnqpodcast.com, and listen directly to all the episodes. We have our merchandise in from shirts all the way to hats, from tops to bottoms. Listeners, write in your stories. Tell us all about them. We want to hear them. You can find that under tab at share your story on the, um, the website. Thank you guys again so much for coming out here and
0: uh, listening to us. All right. So, just like Marcus said, You can find, uh, we get stories written into us every day, and it just continues, the rate at which we're receiving these things continues to increase. We read through all of them, and as best as we can, we get them up on the site as soon as possible, and we pick out the ones that we uh, think are just the most outstanding or really, really hit us. So the one we're going to read here before we uh, close out for the show is from Mike, and Mike writes... I need to start by thanking you guys for the show and being out there as a source of inspiration for myself and everyone else. My story starts roughly 18 years ago at the age of 32. My wife, Lisa, and I were at yet another quarter horse show, the last of the year for qualifying for a world show. While there, not to get graphic, but I started passing a ton of blood. By the end of the four-day show and a four-day road trip to another in Virginia, I finished getting my favorite horse, Gonzo, qualified I had lost enough blood that my peripheral vision had started to go black. I always kept my mouth shut and figured, hell, it'll get better, I'll be fine. But on the drive back to North Carolina, early Monday morning, I ended up spilling the beans to Lisa, and after being told that I'm a dumbass, (laughs) she informed me that if she didn't kill me before sunrise, that I'm going to be at the gastroenterologist first thing in the morning. The source of blood was soon found to be a tumor, I was now, at the old age of 32, a cancer patient. The ride continued for roughly six years, four of those, I was out of work going through surgery, recovery, surgery, recovery, over and over again. In a much greater degree, Lisa endured them all. After the chemo and radiation started, I had days of throwing up and falling asleep on the bathroom floor. The tile has a comforting coolness that I can still remember. After that, the hip replacements started as a result of the radiation therapy. I had necrosis in both hips and one shoulder. Between left and right hip replacement surgeries, I fell and fractured my femur in two places, pelvis in two places, dislocated my right shoulder and fractured my T4 vertebra. It was during my stay in rehab after this accident, while learning how to navigate stairs on my pinned leg, that I had my most miserable never-quit moment. My first day, the therapist wheeled me over to a wooden staircase to practice climbing and descending them. As I got to the second of about eight steps, I stopped. She quickly asked, have you had enough? I didn't respond, and she followed up with, where do you want to go? At which time I responded, to the top, which I proceeded to do. It's a small climb, but at the time seemed like a mountain. But in my mind, it was my wife, my life, everything I needed to get back to the top was at the end of that staircase. During my illness and two brushes with almost not making it through, I learned to separate myself from my body. I looked at it as a machine that wasn't functioning properly and honestly and pissed me off. It couldn't keep up with me in my mind. My wife and I are now in the process of rebuilding the life we had prior to the cancer. We lost our financial security through this and I'm trying to find a way to rebuild. I keep thinking that I had to have gone through this cancer for a reason and my mind is often consumed with finding it. Your podcast has been a great source of motivation and helps in keeping me focused on figuring that out as well as showing me how much we can truly overcome. Thank you for the great work. God bless you guys. Good job, Mike.
1: And we absolutely get our test dropped down on us for a reason. You, know, you can't look at it any other way, man. i like, sure. like to say the most precious gems we have on this planet are forged in pressure and gold is forged in fire. So if every day was good down here, it would be boring. It would be what bad. Mean? You know what I mean? So the, yeah. we got to have those times of... Kind of like I call it detention. Every time you get hurt or something bad like that happens to you, you kind of got to look at it like detentions, to slow you down, and make you ref- look back and reflect on all the good things that you have in your life. At that point, death has a miraculous way of showing people that, especially when you get close to her. In so, the
0: darkness we see the light.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's the only way you can see. You know, the, the darker the pit, the brighter the light on the outside. Uh, on the, when you get out of there. So, good job, man. And you know, never quit and never stop. Stop believing, Steven, That was a great story, brother. I I got to tell you, I, hats off to you. I had so many questions to ask you, about. I just <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was hard to stay on track.
1: On I did, man. Good Lord, that's that's a long time to be out there in the water. And we know. I mean, I we have an, an idea idea what that's sir. like <laughs> being stuck out there like that. So, uh, good job, and just never stop loving what you are and what you do and, and keep charging for it. And to everybody who keeps coming back and listening to us, we, we can't thank y'all enough. It's truly an unbelievable thing to, to have you guys in our lives. And I want to thank God, thank Jesus Christ for everything that he's given us. We love it. And we promise we'll do the best we got with this. Just thanks. That's it. I've had a, I've had a pretty great couple of days, man, and I just wanted to thank everybody for them. I'm out. I'm out.